0: Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hemberg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
1: Jim Campbell, author of a brand new book called Madoff Talks, is a really good journalist. He does a lot of tough interviews, and he gets the story. In this book, I thought we... Most of us knew more than we wanted to know about Bernie Murdoch. But this guy, Jim Campbell, sat down with Bernie. Hundreds of letters and correspondence sat down with Ruth, his wife, and before his son committed suicide, sat down with him. I mean, he talked to everyone in the family. And it's a fascinating, in-depth assessment of Bernie Madoff, you're going to really get a firsthand look into his actions, into why he behaved the way he did. How did banks like J.P. Morgan Chase miss it? How could this possibly be a Ponzi scheme that got over $65 billion and no one looked up? And how did victims get victimized again after they lost everything? What did the trustees do to try to pay back the money? And how many people did they hurt in that? So it's really rather extraordinary that all the organizations, the SEC, FINRA, they knew, but they didn't know. They just overlooked it. So it's a real inside look at how such a thing could have happened and how it could happen again. You're going to enjoy the interview. He's, he's an interesting guy. He's got this documentary, too, going on TV. You've probably seen it streaming. And Madoff Talks is a fascinating look at a very damaged human being. And if you think we saw the last of something like this, you're wrong. So check it out. More ahead. I'm Joan Hamburg.
0: The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats.
1: A frequently asked question from listeners is, it's my birthday, it's my anniversary, I'm taking people out, I need a restaurant that's like a special occasion, but not over the top. So I thought, where can I send them? And then I recalled a recent meal that I had, a restaurant called Il Postino at 133 East 61st Street. And the restaurant does lunch and dinner. It's Sunday, on Sunday, dinner only from 5 to 10. And this is a lovely special occasion restaurant and a good Valentine's Day choice, too. They've been doing really good business for over 25 years. It's owned by Luigi and Maria, who are lovely and greet you. And Luigi, from a small town in Italy, about an hour from Rome, grew up with his grandmother and a very food-oriented family, came here when he was 14, worked his way up and decided to open his own, married Maria, who's in fashion and fine jewelry. In fact, she worked for St. John's and Ostrom's, Bulgari. Lovely Italian food with an influence from many different regions. They have a total menu with crudo beets, homemade pastas, fish, fresh porcini mushrooms, specials every day, delicious crispy artichokes, you're gonna love them, grilled octopus with capers and olives, baked clams, oregano, and buffalo ricotta croquettes with a lovely sauce. This, I was really, first of all, it's lovely. You walk in, it's in an old New York townhouse, And there are some small dining rooms. And then you go to the main dining room, a fire in the fireplace, tables not on top of each other. Really lovely. Start with the soup, start with the pasta, everything homemade and fabulous. And of course, there was some very heavy hitters eating fresh white truffles. I decided pass. A half portion was 120, but... Everything else on the menu and the truffles. there was someone eating it not too far from us who was very, very happy. But terrific fish of bronzino, grilled South African shrimp, wonderful salmon with Dijon mustard and caper berries. Really good. Grilled bluefish tuna, a wonderful breast of chicken with prosciutto fontina cheese. And white wine or veal shanks. Grilled pork chops with hot cherry peppers. Light balsamic vinegar. And for you very traditionalists, a delicious prime-age ribeye steak with arugula and a delicious parmesan. So, desserts, everything was excellent on this menu. Check it out, Il Postino. 133 East 61st Street. You do need a reservation. 212-688-0033. Enjoy every bite.
0: The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg, entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
1: When my producer handed me a new book called Madoff Talks, uncovering the untold story behind the most notorious Ponzi scheme in history, it was tempting, but I thought, did I have enough of Madoff? And then I started reading author Jim Campbell's new book, and I'm telling you guys, I couldn't put it down. There's stuff that we never even thought of, and the realization that when you read this book, this could all happen all over again. That some of the greatest financial people or investigative people saw all this stuff and didn't know, didn't realize, or just decided not to do anything about it. How do you fleece people, investors, of what seems to be $65 billion, maybe more, and all the authorities that be, let it go? I'm sure this also entered the fertile brain of Jim Campbell, who's got his own syndicated show called business talk. He's got a business as well. And he knows the corporate world, the financial world. And he did something that no one else got to do in Madoff talks. He got all the characters to talk. Now we all had exposure to a lot of stuff, but they didn't talk. So, how come they all talk to you, Jim? Joan, thanks for
2: having me on. It's, it's my thrill, great honor, and, of course, to be on WABC. And I'll also mention the Netflix made-off monster of Wall Street is out now. Of course. And ha- has done really well, and I think people will, uh, will enjoy that. And it's full of information, again, that most people don't even uh, know. And, you know, Joan, it was really uh, kind of fortuitous. I, um, uh, on, on my show, I was doing an interview with a woman named Lori Sandel who would written a book on sort of a personal life of Madoff said Andrew Madoff had cooperated with a bit and he forced Ruth to cooperate. She didn't like the book and um, so out of the blue she says, do you want to talk to Andrew the night before the interview? He can't talk on the record. He's being sued by everybody. Um, he, he's one of the most vilified people on the planet. So I get on the phone with him and I started attacking him instantly. Your dad gave you $3 million for a co-op right before this thing went down. Shouldn't you be giving that money back? It's not your money. And he disarmed me by saying, yes, I should be giving it back. So we talked. He said he was going to listen to my show, which was live then, and then we'll talk after if I hear the same stuff. We talked after. Coincidence number two, his mother's moving to Greenwich, uh, where I live from Florida, and uh, he set me up to have lunch with Ruth Madoff, and we hit it off. She was uh, I found her a strikingly attractive woman and um, who'd been devastated by this uh, event. She was eating a chef's salad like she hadn't had a meal in three weeks, and mm. when we walked out, Um, You know, I said, uh, can I get a picture? She said, no, you're wired, aren't you? Thought she was set up. She in turn, once she realized I was not uh, setting her up, she set me up with Bernie through the prison system. And the rest is history, 400 pages of stuff with Bernie.
1: Now, did you, before you got into the family, did you think that the Madoffs had to know, particularly the boys?
2: Yes, you know. Uh, in Chapter 8 in my book, I actually did my own investigation, and the Department of Justice, the FBI, the bankruptcy trustee, the media, and uh, obviously public perception all felt they had to know. Um, I, uh, Bernie was very adamant that they didn't know, but of course that doesn't mean anything in the big scheme of things. But so I did my own investigation. It was touch and go. It took me a long way to make sure the boys did not know because the $800 million, he snuck in the back door of the legitimate business, went to the trading P&Ls, which the boys ran. So it didn't look good. But I did an investigation and was able, I'm pretty sure, uh, to come up with the right conclusion, whether they knew or were complicit in the Ponzi scheme. I know. Yeah,
1: it's, it's really sort of shocking. And all the questions that we've all, like, why did Bernie have to do this? He had a very successful Multi, multi, multi-million dollar business that was good. So, could you That's could a, a psychological well, reason be yeah, strong enough correct, answer?
2: Yeah, great, great, great question. Because most people did not know that he ran a business that was worth three billion dollars at peak. A, totally honest at the time, and I mean treated customers better than most firms on Wall Street did. And he built it from scratch, and it broke the monopoly of the stock exchange. So why the heck would he do this Ponzi scheme? What everybody assumes is, as happens, a gambler lost some money. He said, oh, I'm going to double down. I'll get it back. No one will ever know. And, of course, he told me a story, very complex story, uh, basically along those lines. But I found out after going through the whole thing, he built one of the most ethical businesses on Wall Street, and biggest criminal enterprise on Wall Street side-by-side at the same time. That gets you into a mind that is sort of almost unfathomable. And, you know, it comes down to psychologically the legitimate business was making money on commissions, which meant the market up, market down, uh, Bernie's making money. You bring in brilliant people, you have lead against technology, which he did, boom, and you run it. Then you go downstairs to the 17th floor in the lipstick building, behind closed doors, the sons had no access. He's got 1980s old equipment. High school graduates, who when they when they're hired, were unsophisticated, didn't understand anything. And he found that he psychologically could not take losses at all. He had to be the guy. He had to deliver all the time. So the problem was he suddenly saw he could make losses on trading, the investment advisory hedge fund business, and uh, – he didn't have the moral courage to stop it. It got bigger and bigger, and he just stopped trading and faked it uh, pretty much from the beginning. So he ran these businesses side by side, and there was no excuse for it in the end. It's just all in his brain, which was driven you know, by this pride, this hubris that he had to be the go-to guy and always deliver. That's why his family didn't know in part, because he could never have admitted that he had to turn to criminal enterprise to keep the legitimate business and the whole business going. Um, So that's why he would not have confided in the three of them.
1: But once you started digging into everything, Jim, (laughs) did it make sense to you at all that the regulators who regularly checked into what he was doing, that they missed it or they purposely missed it? This was a scam that was going on for a long time. Um,
2: yeah, a yeah, very long time. And I'll tell you right now, they did five separate investigations, and it was a combination of incompetence, not understanding, and that they were in silos, meaning they never got the right people to examine them. They were examining him with the uh, what's called broker or trading-type examiners, which, of course, was the legitimate business, and they could trace every single trade. So nobody ever checked into or had the skills to understand Um, If it might have been a Pondi scheme, which is very easy to detect, but they never had the guys that were there. They thought he was front running, which means when you're trading and his customers were like Charles Schwab and a customer wants to buy 500 shares of IBM, that's a bullish sign. It's going to tick up very slightly. So you as the market maker, which is Bernie, you jump right in, you buy some IBM shares, knowing that right behind you, they're going to go up slightly. That's how they thought he was always making money. But it was very, very small And, of course, not only was he not doing that because he never cheated in that business, we know now he was never even traded. Um, And so how they missed it is it's just uh, I call it criminal negligence. Uh, It should have been. But they essentially gave Bernie the good housekeeping seal of approval that these poor investors Mm -hmm. who were not sophisticated bought.
1: Right. And they would bring everyone else in. Everyone would say, including me. I remember being at a dinner party and the Madoffs were there and the person sitting next to me said, I can get you in. And I remember my husband wasn't with me. And when I went home, I said, the greatest opportunity of your (laughs) life. And he was like, forget it. Are you crazy? He said, there's no proof.
2: That's funny. That story is that that's exactly why I told Bernie he was the the reason he was such a good con man was because he was the anti-con. He had all these people who thought they had exclusive access to Bernie. And right. he was, I don't need your money. I am i don't need it. And they all thought, I'm the only guy. He's not taking more money, and I can get you in. And then, of course, he fed the fees back to them in, in what were really huge bribes.
1: Hmm. And you explained in this book about the big four. And these were in major investors who constantly were helping keep him whole during the really complicated years. And yet, on the other hand, they knew what was going on, and they actually extorted Madoff.
2: Yes, that's exactly right. He had four big investors. He called them the big four, in fact, that bailed him out of periodic cash crisis. We didn't have enough cash. They didn't know it was a pure Ponzi scheme, but they knew something wasn't kosher. And the biggest of whom... Jeffrey Pickhauer, who most people haven't heard of, uh, took seven billion dollars out of that fund. Bernie only, in quotes, stole eight hundred million that he pumped into that back door. I told you about. So these guys knew something was wrong, and they did. They extorted Bernie for returns, which came out of the hides of his lower net worth investors. I call it a reverse Robin Hood.
1: Mm. But then, how did something like J.P. Morgan, Chase, after all, they had access to those accounts, how did they miss it, or did they choose to miss it?
2: You know, that's another, you know, good question. And after the Netflix, by the way, Jamie Dimon actually called me, who's was the chairman of uh, J.P. Morgan. We had a nice conversation. Um, you know, they had six separate divisions that dealt with Madoff in different ways. They didn't talk to each other. Madoff wouldn't allow the divisions that wanted to invest money to do any due diligence, which is a huge red light. They had people there who thought it was too good to be true. Uh, There's no excuse for why J.P. Morgan couldn't put it together. They are the only entity that looked into his 703. That was the big checky account. And that account should have shown a lot of counterparties if you're really trading. It should have shown dividends being deposited because um, that's a stock strategy. And in the entire 40-year period, there was never $1 of of counterparty. Never one dollar of dividend deposited, and a hundred and seventy billion dollars through uh, flew through that account. So there's no real uh, there's no real way that you can you know absolve J P Morgan, and they know they screwed screwed up. Um, and the question is, did I call them criminally willfully blind? And I did not call them criminally willfully blind because their organizations didn't talk to each other well enough. A little bit like the S E C, but it's obviously a very very bad moment uh, for them.
1: Right. And you also showed us a Bernie that most of us had no knowledge or no access of. And that's a Bernie who was quite brilliant in his own way and did make a lot of money through a legitimate business and had a legitimate career. So the psychological background of this man is really extraordinary. And, you know, not only is
2: it extraordinary, but the sad part is um, he would literally say, um, you know, Jim, my lawyers tell me I have to have remorse. And, you know, that's probably not a good way to show remorse. But, and within a minute or two, he'd be like, these people were greedy. They were always demanding results. I had to always deliver. If they put money in and they weren't wealthy enough, they shouldn't have been in it. If they didn't diversify, that's their fault. He saw himself as a victim, like a narcissist and um, at the same time that he was basically stealing their money, and he set up the bribes and everything. So it, it is, and, you know, we're talking within the Jewish community. This was 85% a Jewish affinity crime and charities. So he's ripping off folks in his own community um, without the degree of remorse um, that should have been there. As you said at the same time, he is brilliant. He had total recall. He was always trying to justify that his strategies were worked. Uh, and that, this, that it was real. And then he would say, well, Jim, I know I wasn't doing any trading. So it's kind of delusional. It was like, yeah, it would have worked if I hadn't done it, if I had mm-hmm. done it.
1: Oh, my gosh. And you actually corresponded with him and talked to him when he was in prison, too.
2: Yes, most of our, our totally it was in, it was it was all during when he was in prison. Mm-hmm. And he would write me these seven page law, you know, single space, both sides, uh, letters and then emails. And that was the the basic uh, gist of it, just pouring his heart out. It reminded me kind of like Nixon, always trying to justify what, what he was doing, like a Greek tragedy.
1: For more of my conversation with Jim Campbell, keep listening to The Joan Hamburg Show. Much more ahead.
0: I see. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg, entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
1: I'm talking to Jim Campbell and Jim has his own syndicated show, a business talk with Jim Campbell. He's got his new book made off talks and Jim talks to most of the people that we never had access to just looking in from the side and he actually sat down through various ways with the boys with Ruth and with most of all with Bernie and did you end up liking him at all i mean what did you well, really think yeah. after this
2: yeah that's a good question too he is he is likable it's low key charisma and of course his brains and everything um the you know so so it's hard to dislike him, but the, was I did all my investigation, and so much of it became lies and pathological. And you realize uh, that, you know the damage he did, and you know um, his son committed suicide. Another son That's died awful. of cancer. Um, people, uh, investors, committed suicide. A British war hero committed suicide, and he never had remorse. He, you know, the the guy in um, New York who committed suicide, the French guy. Um, um, literally, Bill O'Shea was his name. He had royalty from Europe in, and this was all a matter of honor to him. And when he lost $2 bucks of their money, he, he slid his wrist and killed himself because it was honor. Mm. Bertie would say to me, oh, come on, he, that fund had corrupt oligarchs That he, he did it because he was going to get killed.
1: Not true at all. Mm. But yet, when I finished reading your book, Jim, mm-hmm. and under your umbrella... I thought this could really happen again, and, I, and you concur with that.
2: Well, not only do I concur with this, but two weeks before the Netflix came out, the whole FTX, uh, Samuel Bankman, Freed collapsed, and there's, there is a lot of similarities between the two things, and again, there was no regulation or anything. And another, this was a $32 billion market um, value of FTX when it went down. So, uh, no, these things can happen.
1: And, yeah, and you saw them happen, and they, and they could happen again. Whatever yeah. happened, we know the boys met with terrible ends, as you say. One committed suicide, one died from cancer. Um, their families, they changed their name. Do you hear from them?
2: Um, I only hear from them through Catherine Hooper. Catherine Hooper was um, uh, Andrew's girlfriend. They could not get married because of the... Um, uh, all the litigation and uh, that he was under, but she helped get him through this. She's totally brilliant. she got me access in the firm and she she is close to Andrew's kids. One of the reasons she cooperated with me, and she didn't know me remember, is that you know she believed to the to her soul that Andrew did not know and mm-hmm. she basically trusted me looking and she didn't know me. In fact, she even said, Jim, if you find he's involved, I will accept that, but i don't I don't think that he was and Ruth, I was close to too. Um, and uh, the thing is that she, she no longer dyes her hair, so she wouldn't even recognize her. And, but she stopped talking to me um, after, um, after we were getting down the, the, the pipe, because I think she was trying to get Bernie out for early release before he passed away.
1: So she was loyal to Bernie till the end. You know, um, the
2: way to look at that is she had cult-like devotion to him when it went down, and it took her a, a, several years to begin to become deprogrammed. Her boys wanted them to come with her, not Bernie, and she did not come initially, and they they were estranged. By the time that I was dealing with her, she was pretty much psychologically separated from him, but she was the first to admit to me, Joan, she could never let go of him totally. They were together, dating. She was 13 years old.
1: Mm, Yes, I can understand that, but she had these grandchildren that she didn't want to let go of either.
2: Yep, and Mark vetoed her from going to the. Uh, he was he was she was vetoed from going to his funeral. So you can see it was very painful. But they worked it out, and um, and she was very close to Mark's first wife, uh, in particular, even to this day.
1: Does she have any money? How does she live today?
2: Okay, she so, you know she gave up, lost eight hundred million bucks with it, but she was mm-hmm. left with two point five million by the government. Five hundred thousand of that went to the lawyers. So she was living off of that now initially Andy had a house in Greenwich, like a summer house. She lived there rent free. She drove a car literally with dents in it, and then she moved uh, when they when Andy died to an apartment in Old Greenwich. She was paying twenty nine hundred dollars a month for it. Any expense over a hundred bucks she had to submit to the uh, bankruptcy trustee. and you know what? She didn't complain at all.
1: Wow, amazing. And it's the the story. Is just so hard to believe. Yep. So, did you ever hear? And I'm sorry from anyone,
2: uh, relatives,
1: friends, workers, Bernie, anyone who knew.
2: Uh, no, <laughs> um, uh, you know, obviously, there's all the folks that maintain they did not know. There were a lot of people, in the legitimate upstairs firm, the 19th floor, who stayed with that firm in part because he treated customers so well. They were not only devastated, but they felt some residual guilt themselves. Not that there's any way they could have known, but how the heck could they have been there? You know, and, um, you know, and, of course, Mark was totally tormented over that. He killed himself uh, over Mm. it. Um, Ruth felt terrible. Um, You know, did she apologize for it? She didn't. She She didn't know. No, and she was a victim of it, too. But you can't call her a victim like you can call, you know, other victims who lost all their money. Right, um, and she was she was devastated. She she was destroyed by Bernie destroying their name But she she You know, she felt that her name was was you know meant something. Um, but you know, she wasn't unsophisticated. She wasn't you know dumb. So mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, she didn't know. But you, she can't totally plead that you know I, a I, I'm a I'm a naive you know moron mm-hmm. because she was not.
1: No, not that's for sure, and. When you read all this, how much money out of, you said $65 billion was probably what he scammed or fleeced people of. So how much was returned? And the, the return itself was enough for a separate book. Yeah, yeah. Here's,
2: um, here's how that worked. That $65 billion number was the fake total amount of gains. So that, that, that money was never real. Um, and that's so that's 65 billion. What did they originally invest with them? That was 19 billion dollars. Okay, they thought their statements told them every month at the end that they had that 65 billion. And let's face it, if your Maryland statement couldn't be trusted. That's a really bad thing for the for the industry. And the industry did not recognize that when they went to make them whole. They said, "Oh, it's not real." Okay, so people basically were bamboozled by the by SIPIC, which is the FDIC equivalent that's mm-hmm. supposed to get your money back. Anyway, they got back fourteen billion out of the nineteen that they originally invested, which is amazing for a Ponzi scheme. But how did they get that? Well, ten billion of it essentially was from the Big Four, of which Madoff helped get, and that bankruptcy trustee made two billion dollars. Oh my in, gosh. Yeah, two billion bucks in fees and expenses off of. That money they recouped, which to me is a scandal in and of itself because they were completely unprepared and had no money in their reserve fund, essentially, when Bernie went down. And Mm -hmm. how did they get that money quickly? They took it from Madoff victims and gave it to other Madoff victims. Mm -hmm. Madoff victims that took their money out, they went after them, even if they longer, longer had it, tried to claw it back, and then give it to Madoff victims who lost all their money because they didn't take it out. And they, they made two billion two bucks off of made-off victims having to give money back and forth wow. to each other, which I don't know what you think about that, Joan, but it's not it's very close to me.
1: Absolutely <laughs> shocking. shocking. And none of those guys went to jail.
2: Uh, that is, of course, the other big thing. Bernie went to jail. His brother went to jail. The head of operations and his right-hand man, Frankie Pascali, would have gone to jail. He died. And then a few people on that 17th floor I told you about, those high school unsophisticated guys, right. ex- no one else, none of the feeder funds who knew it wasn't right. None of the big four, um, none of the accounting firms or anybody that was supposed to be auditing. And um, that was it.
1: Mm. And there was once an article after Bernie was in jail that he was treated as a hero. Was that fact? Yeah. Or?
2: Well, well you, know, you know, Bernie was his manipulative genius was, mm. uh, was, was 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 he would to become the guy. And that's how he did it in the firm with the regulators. And it was the same thing kind of thing in prison. He just he makes himself the guy. Now, of course, they thought it was cool that he could scam that kind of money. Um, but um, that's, he kind of became the guy. Now, he was in the medical wing for a long time, too, because of hell stuff. So, uh, right. not necessarily in the main, you know, mainstream there. Uh huh.
1: Not in the main jail. So, main did jail, yeah. anything really shock you or surprise you, Jim? In doing this book and in having access to the characters?
2: Yeah, well, obviously, first off, Bernie's mind is the thing that's unfathomable because he didn't do what you thought, which was, you know, go down and do a Ponzi scheme because he was in trouble and needed money. No, he had money. And he had money. Um, The other thing is the complete, what I call the untold story and what we've been talking about, the complete failure of the system, the regulatory system, Wall Street and the feeder funds, all the willful blindness, um, and then, you know, the fact that the, the big four that people don't really know about all made more money than than Bernie stole. And, um, and kept it, it and,
1: right? They kept it.
2: Yeah, you can't, well, they had to get the callbacks. You know, they got $7 billion back out of Pitt Power, but he was left with $2 billion, which I don't think they mm-hmm. realized. And um, it's just that how could the system fail like this? And as you said, it's not in ways that, oh, I can see why they missed this. It was an unbelievable way. How could you miss this?
1: And it could happen again when you read your book and you see that it could definitely happen again.
2: And as I say, we're going through it right now with all the money that's disappeared and vaporized with FTX, the crypto collapse.
1: Yeah. What do you think of that? There's another book for you.
2: Yeah. I think that SBF, this story that he's given that the dog ate his homework, essentially. He had no idea how it happened. And I'm just telling you, if that's true, that's one smart dog, because Mm. a lot of stuff was going on there in the other Alameda firm that they were doing, which is just not good stuff. And he he co-mingled customer funds with his business, which is exactly what Bernie did.
1: Mm. I I tell you, it gets harder and harder to believe. And you pointed out, that the corporation, the the um, the recovery trustees and things like that, yep. actually victimize the victims again.
2: Yep, that's, that's like, what I was explain saying. explain
1: to the audience what happened yeah, that, you, and how that could was, happen.
2: Yeah, what I was uh, saying, and we kind of alluded to it when I was saying the taking from one to the other, typical is the FDIC. The FDIC for banks has existed, which, you know, gets your money back if the bank uh, collapses uh, up to the insurance level that you have. It's existed since the New Deal. They've never not paid a claim, and they've never cost the government $1 because they're an independent you know, agency. Now let's go to CIPIC, which is the Securities Investor Protection Corps, the the securities industry equivalent. It's not independent. It's run. It's called a self-regulatory organization. It's run by Wall Street. They had at the time the insurance fund had was charging, in order, in order to get insurance, the firms were paying 150 dollars a year whether you were Merrill Lynch or a one-man guy. Now think about that that's less than the flowers and uh, the executive suite for a week. FDIC you pay based on the risk of the fir- uh, of the uh, bank so it's you know it's thousands and thousands of dollars. So there's no money there. So Bernie goes down. What the heck are they going to do to give people their money back? And that's where Cipic came up with this thing saying, hey, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's not real. We don't recognize it. So what we're going to do is we're going to get this bankruptcy trustee to try and claw back money from people who took money, which is the victims that took it out. And as I said, may not even have that anymore. They may have taken it out 20 years ago. Anyway, um, that money then was clawed back by the trustee and then passed over to some of these victims that lost everything. And that out of that transfer of clawback victim to victim, the trustee made $2 billion.
1: It's too hard to believe. Did any of the family members or his uh, secretaries and assistants whom he did feel a little responsible for, did any of them come out of this with anything what happened well, uh, to all these lives?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 the great example is on the 19th floor, the legitimate floor, he had a right-hand assistant named Eleanor Sculleri, who was completely honest. And she was making 125000 a year with her bonus and no IRA or anything. Downstairs, her equivalent was a woman named Annette Bongiorno. Both um, Annette and Eleanor had been there 30 years. Neither of them had a college education. Annette's final salary, doing the same kinds of things, except that she was doing all the finagling. Um, Did she illegally. She, she, she this, well, this is one of the great things about MEDA. She was making 670000 a year mm. and had a $58 million fake IRA. She never figured out it was a Ponzi scheme. She mm. thought it was legitimate. Now, they all knew they were faking. They were doing stuff that wasn't kosher. But they didn't really know what they were. She, In her case, she didn't really know what she was doing. She thought mm. that that money was real. And so she ended up in prison for two and a half years and had oh to give all God. that money back. Um, oh, and and is she was,
1: on her feet now, or that was too yeah, big a load? Of,
2: she got out of prison about a year ago, year and a half ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, she's got some health problems. But, yeah, she got out, and, her, you know, her husband, I think, had some pension money. So, you know. Um, what a mess. She, she, what a mess. She, that 50. But she, she. Uh, Birdie allowed her to have her own feeder fund. So get this. She was, in turn, taking money from her friends, and they're getting statements that only said on it, you have $11,000, and then the next month it would say 12000 because mm. it always went up. Didn't even say what it was in. It's <laughs> just, you know, oh, so they were making gosh. money off her. She lost all of their money, too, when the whole thing went down. And, um, you know, she was taking cash payments out of the <laughs> uh, fund for customers. So she should have gone to jail, and she was doing a lot of illegal stuff.
1: Ay yay, yay and Bernie's wife Ruth. Does she have any kind of life? Did people stick by her?
2: Well, obviously she, she lost. lost, she, life, she, lost
1: she lost everything. Her life. She lost everything. Yeah, she even lost
2: her family for a while. But um, um, you know, she has. She's got back the family. She's uh, she's just a survivor. That's her thing. And um, you know, I think her health isn't as good as it was. And you know, the ultimate is if you, the Jewish faith. When um, when you die, you're supposed to be buried in the ground within 24 hours. So Bernie was cremated, and to this day, I believe is on a shelf in a lawyer's office. The family refused. The family refused to take it.
1: I. You know, even as we all thought we knew this story, we didn't know this story. And Madoff talks. It's like reading a, a thriller in many ways it's and a lot of you watch the documentary i'm a reader so i was fascinated by everything in the book by all the documents and what happened to everything and can anyone go back to a life who was involved in this can they or did this destroy them
2: well first of all let me just say that it it really means a lot to me that you read the book so closely um, and, and got messages out. A lot of interviewers don't, you know, that don't necessarily do that. So, and you've actually, um, um studied it. You know, the families of the victims, uh, of, well, the family, the, a lot of the victims' families were totally destroyed. I mean, there were 70 year old people who had to go work at Walmart, um, and were, and were totally wiped out. Mm. Um, uh, on the, on the, on the guilty side, on the 17th floor and stuff, um, the Frankie Pascale was the right hand man. His family disowned him. His son got married and the family, that they were marrying into insisted that he go by his middle name. They wouldn't even let him use De Pascal uh, mm. at the wedding. So, um, and, 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 you know, he, his whole house was built on, on customer money in Jersey on acres and boats and mm. captains, all of this stuff paid for out of customer money.
1: Did they have to give it back or he kept it?
2: No, they had to give it back. I mean, mm. they, they had to give it back so much. Get this, Joe, he had coy, fish in his pond. There, right. they, The FBI took the fish out of oh the my pond. Gosh. They took the hubcaps off of his
1: son's car.
2: They literally oh. um, took everything out. They left his mo- his wife, sorry, with I think 85000 bucks.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, and these are the same guys that overlooked everything or were yep, not smart Frank, enough right. to yeah. find it.
2: Yeah. Frank was a high school grad. He set up the whole computer system off his old system Did all the fake stuff, and then by the way, totally bamboozled the SEC people. There were all these, you know, lawyers, sophisticated. He ran circles around them. They used to print fake stuff up on the seventeenth floor, right off of a printer. They put it in the freezer because they didn't want them to know that they just printed it off. Come up and give it to the SEC and
1: bamboozle them. Mm. It's crazy, crazy. So, did anyone you know in the family read the book and get back to you?
2: Well, uh, first of all, I know Ruth has the book, because I signed one for her, and they gave right. it to her. Whether she read it, I don't know. Um, I know Catherine Hooper read it. I don't know if anybody, I don't know who's read it. Now, I know Ruth's lawyer has read it, and he was very close to Bernie, and he um, he appreciated the book, he said.
1: Did Ruth ever go see him? The family, see- the
2: family, appreciate it. The family sure. appreciated it. I'm sure.
1: Did Ruth go to see him in jail? Um, I think maybe
2: once, but she was not visiting him Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and he was contacting her basically calling and, and, um, uh, emailing her and she would, you know, she would respond, but she was not really proactively reaching out to him. Certainly after she had reentered the family and had cut, you know, cut these ties. But then, you know, Joan, I was sitting with her at a restaurant. It would be embarrassing. And she'd say, Jim, you know, I found out, you know, from this, Bernie was having these affairs. Did you know about this? And I I said yes, and then I couldn't say anymore because it was just so uncomfortable. She was devastated by that.
1: Well, I don't blame her, but it was interesting because with all we knew, that was rarely mentioned. And I'm sure that for her, that was as excruciating as finding out that their lives were a fake.
2: I I think that's true, Joe. Now, obviously... It's tough to admit that because people you know losing all this money is terrible but I, I do think the way she, that it hit her in, in, in kind of that way that it was really uh, really right to her heart because you got to remember that she worshiped them. They were together since 13 and uh, you know uh, at this point on in, in, in not not like hundreds of affairs but, uh, but some affairs.
1: Right. And she had a fabled life until she had no life. Good, good way to good way to put it. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Good job, thank you, Jim Campbell. Madoff talks available wherever books are sold, and the documentary is still available. So go take a, take a look and get the real story of the Madoffs. What happened? Joe, what motivated? Yes.
2: Great. Thank you very much, Joe. My honor to be on your uh, legendary show. Thank you very much for taking the time.
1: A pleasure, Jim. Take care. Good luck. We'll talk again. Yeah. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC More ahead. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously,
2: and 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say
0: other than, hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download
1: the new Bumble now.
0: The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan.
1: So many people check in looking for a place to spend a day or two. And demands are high. You guys want to know where to eat, where to drink, where to wander, where to shop, well, you know? We loved Industry City. and maybe the answer. And if you follow their event page, you can go to a concert, see an art exhibit, a craft show, maybe ice skate, maybe join a league to play something called Pétanque. You know what that is? I didn't. It's a game like bocce. This is a one-stop destination. We get a lot of people asking us, we've got a day, we want to come to Manhattan, we want to do something, what help? Well, you know what? Of course, if we're going to spend a day, we want a place where you can eat, drink, wander, and shop. And you know what's the answer? Industry City. If you go on and follow their event page, you can actually go to a concert, see an art exhibit, maybe a craft show, maybe go ice skating, or join a league to play petanque. You know what that is? I didn't either. It's a game similar to bocce. Now, Industry City is a one-stop destination. Everything is there. It's on the waterfront in Sunset Park in South Brooklyn, and it was known as Bush Terminal a 19th century warehouse and distribution center. Then, like so many places, Bush Terminal fell into a long period of decay. And with the decline of urban manufacturing, this really was a problem. Now, they've undergone for the past couple of years and going on now, a $450 million redevelopment. And the 16-building industrial campus is on 35 acres it houses over 550 companies 50 plus eateries and retailers furnished landscaped indoor outdoor space ice skating in the winter plenty of sitting areas with outside dining and drinking option it's quite wonderful and food halls with picnic benches where you can eat Fabulous coal oven pizza from Brooklyn's famous Table 87. Do you guys know that one? It's really worth checking it out. Or you can get a sandwich from N's, E-N-D-S, meat. That's a famous butcher shop. Or maybe go to the Avocado. It's the Avocatoria. And get something with avocado. How about visiting Japan Village? That includes Sunrise Mart, which is a bustling marketplace, all kinds of unique goods and fresh ingredients from Japan, and an adjacent food hall that serves really good, authentic Japanese cuisine. So you may get some udon. It's everything is there. Or eat and shop at one of my favorites, Sahari. They have a grocery store, cafe seating. They have beer, wine on tap a Mediterranean-style deli, bulk nuts, dried fruit coffees, open kitchen where you can watch everyone working. There are lots of uh, sit-down restaurants throughout the site, hometown barbecue, fry pan Brooklyn, and coffee shops, bars, breweries. And, of course, could I send you somewhere where you can't get chocolate? Liac Chocolates. The factory is there, so you can watch them being made. Lilac. Yeah, just it. It's lilac, but it's a really... Have you ever tasted that chocolate? It's so good. We love it. And there are lots of shops, every kind of merchandise. They have high-end furniture. They have a restoration hardware outlet, an ABC home and carpet, West Elm, design within reach. There's a lot of metered parking for one twenty five an hour and a parking lot for about 15 a day. Good adventure. IndustryCity.com slash visit. Do it. I think you're going to thank me.